Section three of Going Abroad Some Advice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Betty B. Going Abroad Some Advice by Robert Luce. How to Go. As a rule, where there is competition, you have to pay for a thing about what it is worth. The bearings of this observation lays in the application on it. Applied to ocean steamers, it means that the variation in rates of passage corresponds closely to the relative estimates put by the majority of the traveling public on the accommodations offered. For example, it costs a good deal more money to drive a boat across the ocean in six days than in ten days. If enough people were not ready to meet this extra cost, six-day boats would not be run. And likewise, if there were not enough people to fill the cabins of the ten-day boats, they would be given over to steerage passengers and freight. If, then, you feel that what suits the majority will suit you, it might also suffice to determine how much money you can afford for the passage, and take the first thing you can get at that figure. But this simple solution of the problem is vitiated by the fact that the tastes and needs of travelers differ greatly, and what may seem valuable to one man may seem worthless to his neighbor. The Fast and Slow Trip If only the element of time were to be taken into account, everybody who did not look on the sea voyage as a vacation, a recreation, a delightful and justifiable rest, would go on the fastest boat, assuming that he could afford it. But there are very few travelers, once past the distressing period of seasickness, to whom life on an ocean steamer is not enjoyable. The feeling that you are completely cut off and shut off from the life of the land, which makes the heart sink when the shore fades from view, turns into a positive relief after the mind and body have adapted themselves to the new conditions. You are glad that you cannot see a paper, get a letter, be startled by a telegram, bored by an agent, harassed by the cares of the office, the shop, or the home. In a vacation on land, to be sure, you run away from these things, but you are always haunted by the fear that they may chase you. A fire, a death, any one of the calamities of life may summon you back to duty at any minute, but on shipboard even duty is balked. It is the one place on earth, though it isn't on earth at all, where you can be supremely selfish without giving your conscience a chance to be bothersome. There is little chance to work. Almost everybody plans to do more or less of heavy reading, but few do it. Writing is out of the question for anybody requiring isolation or quiet, and rare is the writer who can accomplish anything worth reading without these aids. Even the novel is slighted. You become perfectly content to kill the time between the meals with shuffleboard, ring toss, cards, chess, storytelling or plain straight loafing accomplished with the utmost satisfaction when one is stretched out on a steamer chair warmly wrapped and basking in the sun on the leeward side of a promenade deck if it be true that you should count that day lost whose low descending sun views from thy hand no worthy action done then the transatlantic traveller may count just as many lost days as there are between sandy hook and liverpool or whatever may be his goal. It is, I presume, useless to hold up these pleasures before the many novices from whom the apprehension of seasickness and the landsman's dread of the sea 
take away all expectation of comfort during the voyage much less happiness and yet it is the fact that at any rate in the summer not one person in fifty is kept below by seasickness more than a day or two or fails to get some enjoyment out of the trip before it is half done if then the voyage is to be a pleasure as to most people it's sure to be the longer trip may be preferable to the shorter trip but of course there may be stormy weather the foghorn may make life a burden the time available for your excursion may be limited the demands of business society or the family may make hours precious so if you are in a hurry to get across it might be penny wise pound foolish not to take the faster boat if the choice were to be made solely on the score of comfort most people would vote for the slower boats to be sure the faster boats are bigger and so have longer promenade decks and that is no trifling matter their dining saloons smoking rooms ladies cabins etc are more commodious an advantage even though there are more people to occupy them on the large boats there are a few large staterooms at large prices but the ordinary staterooms those used by the majority of travelers differ little in size on any of the boats the berths are just as comfortable or uncomfortable no matter what price you pay and the number of tons burden makes no difference in the space allotted for your steamer chair in which you are likely to pass most of your time when you are not at table or sleeping the chief compensation that the slow small boats have for their lack of room is the lesser vibration given by the screw no propeller can be driven faster without jarring the boat more the quiver of a swift steamer is very annoying to some people though others do not mind it in the matter of pitch and roll there seems to be no difference caused by the mere fact that a boat travels ten or twenty miles an hour it appears to be a question of model and load not one of size and speed some of the cheapest lines get much of their revenue from carrying cattle to england the boats do not accommodate many passengers but in some respects are in fact more comfortable than the boats making a specialty of passenger traffic usually their staterooms are well above the water line so that portholes can be kept open except in the roughest weather and outside rooms are the rule with no second cabin or steerage passengers those of the first cabin feel greater liberty to utilize all the deck room for sport or comfort the odor of the cattle is not obnoxious on the way back no livestock is carried these boats have been modeled with an eye to being as steady as possible in order that the livestock may be transported safely all are broad of beam and many of them have bilge keels in the nature of flanges at right angles to the side of the ship which catch the water and check the roll usually they are heavily loaded so that they are well down in the water and this too steadies them in two voyages on a boat of this class i can recall but one day when the steamer chairs had to be lashed and any one who has crossed on the ocean greyhounds knows what that signifies but do not infer that all freight boats are steady on the contrary among the worst of rollers are some of the old small liners that have been relegated to the poorer class of business it is the big new freighters that are to be commended for comfort in the matter of safety the fast boats have the advantage of lessening the days of exposure to the dangers of the sea the disadvantage of being driven through fog at high speed as to food on steamships the chances are that the higher the rates the better the table 
very few however are the stewards who set what can justly be called a poor table life on shipboard sociability is an important feature of life on shipboard up to within a few years on every transatlantic steamer the distinctions of class and rank wealth and birth were for the while laid aside but of late on the larger boats the snob now and then sets the pace this was inevitable when steamers became so large that their passengers were not thrown in close contact with each other it is significant that there is much less exclusiveness on the return trip perhaps because a few months of travel will make socially timid people learn their own worth perhaps because the larger part of our well-to-do folk are at heart sensible people quick to observe who take a lesson from genuine aristocracy as maintained across the water and find out that gradations of wealth are not the most accurate tests of merit paradoxical as it may seem the foreign aristocrats are often the most democratic of men but whether you choose one of the larger or one of the smaller boats be sure you will find many delightful friendships anybody who goes to europe for the ordinary reasons is pretty sure to have in his or her makeup something worth your respect and goodwill the mere fact that the desire to learn is the most common of all the causes that lead to foreign travel of itself ensures you companions of an intellectually desirable character as a rule they are brainy people and if you enjoy contact with cultured intellects nowhere can you gratify that most laudable of tastes better than on shipboard not that they are all solomons and i doubt if even sappho was enchanting when she was seasick but the average of learning and geniality and sensibility is higher than elsewhere games are the chief recreation and if you would be popular on shipboard furbish up your game knowledge about the fifth day you will find the most staid and dignified of people eager to be entertained by amusements that on shore would be childish ennui fosters one diversion however that is a little more than infantile that of betting on the number of miles in a day's run on the number of the pilot boat first seen on all sorts of things without the least desire to pose as a moralist i may be pardoned for suggesting to the inexperienced that there are many ways to use money to advantage after you land and that if you decline to risk it in pools and wagers on the steamer nobody will think the less of you to say no to the inevitable appeal for a charitable contribution usually made under the guise of selling tickets to a concert for the benefit of sailors or lifeguards or somebody else's widows and orphans is a harder thing and few have the courage to do it yet the scheme is an imposition and an outrage that steamboat companies would do well to prohibit in every ship's company there are some people who cannot afford such gifts and who are grievously wounded by the necessity of appearing mean and stingy if money is to be made at the concerts at all it should be by passing a hat and not by selling tickets blackmail is none the less blackmail when it is levied under the guise of charity a little thing you say to make so much fuss over but the little things sometimes make or mar the pleasure of an ocean voyage choosing a cabin to take a first cabin passage means that you pay for one berth in some stateroom in the center of the boat dine in the chief dining saloon and can go anywhere on the boat a second cabin ticket entitles you to a berth in a stateroom aft dining in the same part of the vessel 
and being forbidden to go forward of a certain line steerage passengers in the older boats are stacked in tiers of berths forward and have no dining saloon being served from the pantry and eating as best they can on some of the new boats a whole deck is assigned to them single men going forward single women aft and the center being reserved for families some family rooms have but two berths others three or four giving a privacy formerly unknown in steerage travel clean blankets are furnished on each voyage and dishes are supplied but the passenger must wash his own he furnishes sheets if he wants them also towels and soap food plain but plentiful is given and any extras can be bought at a fair price from the stewards twenty-five cents getting a good single meal from the saloon table and five dollars ensuring service therefrom three times a day during the voyage it is possible without hardship to cross at steerage rates on one of these new boats but not on the older boats where the deck room is cramped because no one going across a certain line is permitted the berths are all in the bow making seasickness almost inevitable under the most distressing conditions and the passengers are herded like cattle with a promiscuity sure to revolt anyone of refined instincts to any man or woman brought up in a decent american home the filth of the european-born poor met in the steerage is intolerable second cabin accommodations are clean the food is good and the company is by no means unendurable indeed there is usually more jollity and good nature in the second cabins than in the first but there is more motion to the stern of a vessel than to its waist and the noise of the screw is more plainly heard so that poor sailors are worse off there the most objectionable thing about it though is that you are debarred from the privileges that people right within your sight are enjoying the long promenade deck the better dining room the more elegant cabins and smoking room but if you can swallow your pride undoubtedly you will get more for your money in the second cabin than in the first for a much smaller price you get the same transportation berths just as comfortable save for the pitching and the screw just as much food though perhaps not in such variety on some of the steamers that ply between new york and mediterranean ports in winter there is no distinction of first and second cabins so far as privileges go but of course the noise of the screw and the pitching are matters of necessity not of privilege and a poor sailor will find it worth while to pay the extra price for a berth amidships berths in outer rooms naturally command a higher price than those in inner rooms but most people who have crossed many times will tell you that they are not worth the difference their only advantage comes from having the porthole for more light and air as you never use the stateroom save for dressing and sleeping or trying to sleep and as the inner rooms have plenty of artificial light the porthole counts for very little in this regard in summer in calm weather its fresh air is agreeable but most of the time it can't be left open with safety when the sea is not high the portholes in the gangways are opened as easily and frequently as those in the outer staterooms and they give the draft to the inner rooms in quantity enough to suffice almost anybody at night doors are hooked so as to be open a few inches or only the portieres are drawn and at the top of the partition there are holes so that when the sea permits ventilation there is usually enough of it the very largest boats have forced draft ventilation the rooms nearest the stairs are likely to get the most air 
in selecting a stateroom if possible keep away from the pantries or at any rate in front of them away from the machinery and away from the toilet rooms though in the newer boats the plumbing is so good that it matters little if you are next to a toilet room the rattle of the machinery however cannot be wholly deadened and the smell of food is nauseating to almost everybody whether it comes from the pantry of a floating palace or the galley of a fishing shack a ticket on an ocean steamer entitles the bearer to one berth not to a stateroom and unless you pay extra or the boat is not full you will have to share your room with at least one other person frequently with two others for three berth cabins are common let only the most imperative necessity compel you to go four in a room on some plans numbers are placed to designate berths which are really couches not ordinarily used unless a child is traveling with its parents on this point it will be well to get information from the agent of whom you secure cabin plans of course nobody else would be put in the same room with a husband and wife in case no two berth cabins were left the couple would be separated the husband being placed with other men and the wife with other women but this would very rarely happen there is no room for a full-size trunk in a stateroom a steamer trunk is almost a necessity for anybody but the hardy traveler of the male persuasion who can suffice his wants with the contents of a gripsack the large trunks are ordinarily stowed where they can be reached at certain hours in the day but it is much better to arrange things so that you will not have to go to them seasickness the great bane of the ocean voyage is seasickness the infallible remedy for it is yet to be found its mysteries defy the doctors and delight the cranks let your friends know you are going abroad and you will be told of enough medicines to stock a hospital the most opposite methods of diet will be advised one man telling you to eat all you can the next advising temporary starvation a breastplate of wrapping paper is a favorite absurdity only on one thing does everybody agree fresh air stay on the deck as long as you can after you have succumbed force yourself to get out of your berth and on deck at the earliest moment your strength will permit when you are nauseated don't resist nature's attempt to relieve you walk 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 and talk 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 forget yourself if you can the snobs who are exclusive on shipboard suffer the most from seasickness before you start fortify yourself with the fact that perhaps a quarter of mankind and an eighth of womankind are mercifully preserved from being sick at sea at all not one person in ten days sick more than a day or two and not one in fifty suffers through the whole voyage suffers seriously i mean for there are not a few who never really get their sea legs the notion that seasickness is of itself a benefit is on the face of the thing absurd no sort of sickness can be beneficial so avoid it if you can and get over it as soon as you can let the diet be simple and ordinary for a few days before going aboard and reduce the hard work sure to be piled into the days before sailing so that your system may be in better condition as the disease is doubtless largely if not wholly nervous in its nature a strong exercise of willpower can lessen its tortures if not save you from them that is probably the secret of the success of various remedies with various people they get faith believe they will not be sick and so keep themselves from being sick if you go aboard with the certainty that you will be sick begin to coddle yourself as soon as the boat leaves the dock 
study your symptoms minutely and go below the moment the vessel begins to rock you can make yourself sick as easily as you can faint away if you have a tendency in that direction and try hard for the person who is sick willy-nilly it may be suggested that the starved system cannot rally quickly and that some nourishment of the simplest kind should be taken anything that aids and quiets the stomach like tea may prove helpful taken sparingly but avoid the dishes called slops in common parlance eschew soups for the first twenty-four hours content yourself with dry meat and hard biscuit champagne has alleviated the misery of many a woebegone passenger but the skeptics declare the cracked ice the real cause eno's fruit salts are said to be good to make a ginger has been efficacious and credit is also given to a few drops of camphor in water a cold salt water bath sometimes expedites recovery every vessel has a physician whose aid is at the service of all passengers requiring it without charge but as in public hospitals on shore patients are expected to pay if they can afford it if you give what your family physician would have charged for like services you will not get far out of the way fees meals etc at the end of a trip every passenger on a transatlantic steamer is supposed to give fees it is an unwritten law but as binding as the english constitution the amount to be given always worries the novice who dreads giving too little and usually begrudges giving too much if you give two dollars fifty cents to the man who waits on you at table and a like amount to the man or woman who takes care of your stateroom he or she will be perfectly satisfied that much and no more is expected if more is given you are thought generous but no benefit accrues to you and often but slight benefit to the recipient for frequently the receipts of all the stewards are pulled at the end of the trip and then divided equitably so in making a large gift you but present so much money to the whole body of stewards for one i see no reason why a head steward should be feed it is virtually a duty to feed the under stewards because their wages are small in the expectation that they will receive enough from passengers to make their earnings reasonable this is not the case with the head steward or anybody else on the ship the men who frequent the smoking room usually make up a purse for the smoking room steward but that is wholly a matter of generosity the deck steward usually receives a small fee from those who have frequently called upon him for services and the passenger who is seasick usually calls upon him a great deal when there is a band it is customary to take up a collection for its benefit to which doubtless many contribute who would rather have paid to keep it quiet all in all probably the majority of passengers give between five and ten dollars married couples give between them little more than single passengers and more is given on the outward than on the homeward trip after novices find that feeing is for all but the american a matter of business and not of kindness steward's fees are included in the passage money on a few boats but your steward would probably feel unhappy if he didn't get at least a dollar extra seats at table are allotted by the head steward immediately after the boat leaves the dock and if you have any choice you should interview him as soon as you get on board if you have acquaintances on the passenger list see the steward before the boat starts and give him in writing the names of the people who are friends if you feel sure you will be seasick induce him if you can to allot you a seat amidships near the door is desirable if that is not also near the pantry 
and it is well to be on the same side of the boat as your room and as near it as possible on some of the smaller boats when all berths are taken it is necessary to have first table and second table at noon and night usually you can have your choice there is little reason for exercising it perhaps the first table people are hurried somewhat and the second table people are likely to find the linen less fresh food and service are the same of course full dress is not expected and indeed would be thought ridiculous by most people as a rule passengers wear the same outer garments from one end of the trip to the other morning afternoon and evening negligee shirts are the rule with men wines are to be had at prices reasonable to one going from america and dear to one returning from europe payment is made before landing you need not be afraid that the purser will forget to present his bill accompanied by the slips you have signed every time you have ordered anything from the wine card time on shipboard is marked by the ship's bell one stroke of the tongue means that it is twelve thirty four thirty or eight thirty two strokes one five or nine three one thirty five thirty or nine thirty and so on up to eight bells as it is called which may be four eight or twelve o'clock the ship's time is changed daily and if you rely on your watch without changing each day you may find yourself earlier or later at breakfast than you think for the distance travelled each day is computed at noon and posted conspicuously the use of the bathrooms is free but the steward expects to be feed like about everybody else who does anything for you from the time you leave home till you get back the barber charges for his services as on shore deck chairs are not provided by the steamboat companies if you care to take your own steamer chair you are at liberty so to do but there is much less bother in hiring a chair from the company that makes a business of letting them the price for the trip is usually a dollar sometimes fifty cents if you pay it when you get your ticket you will find the chair suitably labeled and waiting for you when the boat starts usually there are enough extra ones aboard to make it possible for you to hire one from the deck steward but it will be safer to make sure of that in advance it would be very poor economy to try to get along without one on some boats the position assigned to the chairs on the first day is kept through the trip and on such boats it is desirable to secure your location as soon as you get on board the matter being arranged with the deck steward on others the chairs remain where they are placed each morning whether occupied or not for it is not good form to move a chair not your own at night the chairs are folded and stacked and the early risers have their pick of positions the crafty passenger will put his chair as near the middle of the boat as he can get it away from the draft of a gangway from the pantry ventilators and from the smoking-room door if that opens on the promenade deck and may he be forever seasick who defies the rule and puts his chair next to the rail where people want to walk first cabin passengers ordinarily are allowed free twenty cubic feet of space in the hold for baggage something more than enough for two trunks of average size paying twenty-five cents a cubic foot for extra space second cabin passengers get fifteen feet steerage passengers ten feet once late in the voyage the baggage room is open and passengers can reach their trunks if they wish on the freight boats the trunks are sometimes left in the passageway where they can always be reached one passenger found this a great convenience when her steamer trunk proved half an inch too high to go under the berth before the boat leaves the dock keep your eye on your hand luggage 
in the throng of visitors who come to say goodbye thieves can mingle without arousing suspicion and after the boat has started losses are discovered too late to do anything about it friends are more kind than considerate when they send flowers to departing tourists for a few hours the gift is delightful but when the qualms of seasickness begin the flowers must leave the stateroom and by the time one can enjoy them again they are usually past enjoyment of course the woman who is not seasick can get as much pleasure out of a bouquet on ship as she can get anywhere else very likely it is more pleasurable there but most women alas will detest a rose on the first morning out so one who dares look a gift horse in the mouth would better suggest that parting tokens of goodwill might better take the form of candy or cakes or olives or best of all fruit indeed a basket of fruit is as solacing a thing as can be carried on an ocean trip if you have had the forethought to bring along a stamped envelope or a postal card and care to send anybody a line at the last minute you can send it back by the tugboat that goes down the harbor with the steamer or by the pilot this hint may be particularly useful to anybody starting from montreal on the return voyage the st lawrence boats pick up the pilot at the mouth of the river and letters addressed as the officials of the line may advise will probably reach passengers there thus your friends can get early news to you if you have so directed and you may be sure that letters will never be more welcome by the way speaking of the st lawrence suggests that it should not be overlooked in considering the port from which to sail the st lawrence boats must go down or up the river between montreal and quebec in the daytime so they leave montreal in the early morning and touch at quebec in the afternoon for such passengers as may want to take them there and on returning if they reach quebec too late to go up to montreal that day they lie over thus on most trips giving passengers a chance to see the city the st lawrence lines have the advantage of a shorter ocean passage than any others there being three days of the trip on the river or gulf and as their course lies so far north in summer it is reasonably sure to be cool while more southerly lines often have unpleasantly warm days at that season on the other hand the farther north the route the more fogs and icebergs and the more chance of meeting their annoyances or dangers coming back to the subject of letters i may say that the provident passenger who desires to mail letters as soon as he lands will have provided himself in advance with postage stamps of the country in which he is to disembark they can usually be bought without trouble in a money changer's office before going on board the purser may have a few but usually not enough to supply the demand as one may land in liverpool or elsewhere with hardly time to catch the outgoing mails or may want to send letters ashore at queenstown or gibraltar the precaution may be worth while the prudent man or woman who expects to be seasick will arrange his or her effects in the stateroom before the boat gets out of the harbor distances at sea are measured in nautical miles of six thousand eighty feet which correspond with the length of one sixtieth of a degree of a great circle of the earth in latitude forty eight degrees thus the nautical mile is about eight hundred feet longer than the statute or land mile the speed of a ship at sea is measured in knots which are not themselves distances but are measures of speed and therefore though a knot is in length the same as a nautical mile the term should not be used as synonymous with mile you may say that a boat has a speed of twenty knots an hour but don't say that the distance across the ocean is three thousand knots 
it may be convenient to remember that the fast boats average about five hundred miles a day in good weather the slow boats about three hundred miles when the boat travels with the sun of course it scores more miles a day than when is bound eastward a fathom is six feet steamship companies seldom if ever advertise the expected sailing time from dock to dock commonly the announced records are made from lighthouse to lighthouse and this may be a very different thing from the time actually taken in getting across for there are many delays in crossing bars and in getting up or down the harbor furthermore advertised passage times are good weather runs with all conditions favorable therefore it is rash to make appointments or lay plans in the expectation that a six-day boat or a nine-day boat will put you ashore just six or nine days after you started it may and then again it may not at least twenty-four hours is none too small a margin of safety in calculations a cheap chart of the north atlantic will be found an entertaining study on the way over for the latitude and longitude are posted every noon enabling one to trace the ship's course from day to day if he cares to keep a record by himself people who are amicably inclined and know when to stop will do their fellow passengers a service by putting some music in their luggage where it can be easily reached but the pianist who strums within sound of seasick people will not get their blessings all the large boats have libraries that are put at the service of passengers but like most small libraries they abound in things you ought to read but won't a steward usually is put in charge of giving out the books speaking of books suggest to me the subject of dogs in view of the fact that in massachusetts and perhaps in some other states the public libraries get the dog tax whether ship libraries are so sustained i don't know but perhaps they are for dogs must pay their passage it may cost from ten to twenty five dollars according to the size and value of the dog the rule is that dogs cats and monkeys must travel in cages but i doubt if all dogs are so treated for there are dogs and dogs working a passage young men with more health and strength than money more grit than fastidiousness can most economically make the european trip by crossing as stock tenders boats carrying livestock leave all our larger ports from montreal to galveston passage over and back is given to the cattlemen formerly they were paid from ten to forty dollars for the trip but now except in the winter season men are plenty who are glad to go with only passage and food as the equivalent the men are shipped either at the cattle yards or at some seaman's employment office sometimes one may get passage on a horse boat and then he will be with a little better class of men and have less work but he must pay for his return passage twelve dollars fifty cents being the usual charge to be arranged with the manager of the horse department of the transportation company before starting cattlemen who do not want to come back on the return voyage of the boat in which they cross must make a special arrangement to that effect with the officials of the company on the outward voyage the youth who goes on a cattle boat pays his way with interest he rises at four in the morning and works hard at feeding and watering the cattle till eight when he gets his breakfast of scouse a sort of diluted hash with what passes for coffee more work in the forenoon and then dinner of salt horse and potatoes then lugging more hay and water to the cattle and then supper of thin bitter oatmeal and tea or coffee as you may elect to call it to use the words of one college student who described his experience to me 
most of the fellows are then tired enough to climb into their bunks but some go up on the spar deck if the weather is fine a few are told off to watch the cattle for the steers are not to be allowed to lie down during the entire voyage in rough weather with hatches battened and the iron decks made slippery by the water spilled in carrying it to the cattle the weak and sick cattlemen cursed and driven to their tasks wish they never had been born taken altogether is an experience that few lads care to repeat but young men of the college age long for experiences and this is not one of the sort that brings any permanent ill effects a stout rugged youth who knows from work on the farm or in the factory what manual labor means or who has gone through the training for a college team and who is not dainty in his tastes can do the thing without more than a brief spell of misery tempered by the satisfaction of achieving a journey that might otherwise be impossible the surroundings are not altogether painful except on passenger boats the cattlemen have practically the freedom of the ship in their off hours being allowed to go anywhere except to the galleys although the extreme forward and aft spar decks are conventionally allotted to them they sleep in single bunks with straw mattresses that are said to be filled with fresh straw each trip the bags holding the straw being steamed my informant avers that the steam ought to be very hot to do its perfect work on the return trip there is no work to be done and the cattlemen loaf to their hearts content to eke out the ship's victuals they carry on board such delicacies as their purses may permit and if it is a passenger boat the steward will not be averse to turning a penny by furnishing food from the saloon pantry on the horse boats the men are called upon to work scarcely more than three hours a day western lads who contemplate a trip under these conditions may be glad to know that they can reach the seaboard very cheaply by travelling on stock trains it is the custom of the railroads to allow a pass for one man with each car of stock and it is not hard to get hold of a pass from a western state to chicago for a dollar a similar pass from chicago to new york may cost six dollars for which one can get transportation in a passenger car attached to the fast stock express no service is required of persons thus shipped with stock the trainmen doing the work a party of college men whom i saw make the trip rode their bicycles to the boat and had them put in the hold uncrated mounting their wheels at the liverpool dock as soon as the boat landed they started on a tour that need not have cost them all told fifty dollars for a two months absence from the states during which time they could see all the things in great britain and on the continent that excursion tourists see with a great deal of the most interesting part that the usual excursionist never sees end of section three